Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Jesse, and you are listening to Ironclad's Built for More podcast. Now, each week on this show, we, we talk to a different elite performer from across the spectrum of disciplines to try to gain insights and expertise into their ideas about business, entrepreneurism, leadership, and just living a life of purpose. And we have a really cool guest today whose name is Pat Dosette. Now, Pat spent nine years serving as a Navy SEAL before going on to earn an MBA from the Wharton School of Business. Today, Pat serves as the president and CEO of a really cool new company called Made For that he founded with Blake Mikowski. Now, you may be familiar with Blake. He is also the founder of the pioneering buy one, give one brand, Tom Shoes. Now, over the course of two years, Pat and Blake met with neuroscientists, psychiatrists, uh, physical therapists, life coaches, and wellness experts to create a 10-month program that they hope will harness insights into neuroscience and help their clients uh, achieve their goals in life. Now, the company is called Made For, and I want to read their mission statement to you. It's to elevate your mental and physical baselines uh, while cultivating a mindset that allows you to achieve everything you are truly made for. Uh, when I when I first read that, I thought he'd be a great fit for the podcast because I'm not only interested in, in, in learning more about the program, but also some of the things he learned uh, building it with Blake over the last two years. Uh, another cool thing is after the interview, the Made For team actually reached out and they offered listeners to of our show a 20% discount for anyone uh, who's interested in the Made For program. Uh, to claim the discount, you can go to getmadefor.com and you can enter offer code made for ironclad. That's all one word, made for ironclad. You get 20% off the program. All right, here is part of our conversation with Pat Dosette. Like I said, I, I first came across Made For uh, a little while back in, in an Instagram ad, and it, it immediately like had my attention because it, I, it's really unlike any other kind of product or service that, that I've seen out there. Tell for, for people who may not be familiar with it yet, tell them kind of what the vision is behind Made For. Yeah, um, thank you for that question. So we started working on Made For. I started working on Made For about three years ago alongside my my co-founder and partner, Blake McCoskey. And the idea was, what could we do that would help people be better? And not just be better in their day, daily life and in, in the day-to-day, -day, but really help people connect with their capacity to be better and unlock potential uh, unlock potential inside themselves. And so we we first started working on this idea. We thought like, all right, Blake, uh, Blake's founder of Tom Shoes, really interested in a lot of emerging technologies and things that are probably um, you know world class from technologies to you know practices to you know he gets exposed to just a lot of different things and people that are in this in this area and space and then me coming from my background which you know, I spent uh, just over nine years in the seal teams we thought all right based on what we've seen we'll curate the best and best in class practices and then give it to people in a way that compels them to take action what we found is you know upon Deeper research and maybe setting some ego aside, ego aside, and working alongside some some really some really smart people, people far smarter than ourselves, was that it's really not these high speed practices that make a big difference. It's mm. rather these very foundational things that, whatever reason, we've grown departed from. And so the idea of Made For is it's a ten month program. Uh, every month we focus on one specific area of practice. So um, very foundational things like you know hydration, gratitude, rest, nutrition, movement breath. I, the idea is what are these things that you can connect with on a daily basis um, that allow you to unlock capacity inside yourself? And so each month focuses on one of these foundational practices. 
Um, we deliver the science and the steps and the, the benefits of focusing on a given area, trying to dispel any myths or any marketing or you know hype around these things, really what's going on in the nuts and bolts of, of these practices. Uh, we pair that with a physical tool, and then we've designed a challenge around what's the smallest thing that we could get someone to do where they would see a benefit of their actions. And that's it. Small steps over time, um, directed in the right way, helps people unlock surprising benefits of an enduring nature, not only of their behaviors, but also the mindsets, which I think is really one of the four fundamental powers of the program. So, so essentially, because sort of how it works is you get like a, is it like a kit in the mail each month based on one of these 10 yeah. pillars. And within it, it has the tools to compete. I, I think I read it's like a 21-day challenge each month. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we've been very thoughtful in terms of distilling what are just the essential elements, both the science, the benefits, the tools, and the steps uh, and then giving people the support that they need over the course of 10 months. But what are the essential steps that you could take that by exerting effort in a directed, very specific way, you see very real benefits? So Now, I, I know you guys can, obviously, you, uh, along with, uh, by the way, thank you for your service as well. Like, But as long as you're, uh, as well as your experience with the teams, you know, you also went to Wharton Business School, right? And and Blake also has a, a, a you know an interesting background as an entrepreneur, and also has been an activist and humanitarian. Um, but you also you guys brought in neuroscientists, psychiatrists, physical therapists, life coaches, really pulled from a lot of different disciplines to develop these tools. Were you surprised that some of their recommendations and finding when you started kind of going into these different fields of saying, hey, how can we make a tool that's going to help people? Were you surprised with what some of these experts came back with? Yeah, I, I really was. And I was surprised, but in a very pleasant way in that, um, let's see, take for example, so our lead advisor is a gentleman named Dr. Andrew Huberman. He runs our uh, expert advisory board. And Andrew is a professor of neurobiology at Stanford University. He's a neuroscientist who runs his, the Huberman Lab out of Stanford University. And he is really interested in unlocking what are the natural protocols that we can engage in, whether it's using the visual system or using breath. What are the, the things that humans can engage in that map very well with their physiology and allow them to be their best or perform at a very high elite level? And so you take breath, for instance, breath is one of the months that we focus on. And traditionally, I think when you hear of breath, you think meditation or breath work, or there's a lot of stuff that gets mapped onto that. And what we found is we, once we started stripping, you know, whether it's, um, uh, once we started stripping all of the superfluous stuff away, we got down to essentially what's happening when you're breathing, right? There's only a, a few things that you can control your, how long you inhale for, how long you exhale for, how long you hold your breath the rate at which you're breathing, and what are the underpinnings of what's happening in the brain and the body when you're doing that. And so what we focused on in that month is that there's really two things you can do. You can be intentional with how you um, engage your breath. You can breathe to bring more energy in, or you can breathe in a certain way to, to have um, more calm and be present into a, to a situation or environment. So that's one thing you can do. The other thing is you can direct your attention in a very specific way. And there's um, a lot of science and research around how with uh, very specific attentional breathing practices in a short period of time, you can actually start to rewire your brain in a lasting way that allows you to um, unlock some surprising benefits. So again, that's, you know, it's a simple example, but it's one I think that when you have a team of, you know, John Rady and Andrew Huberman and Evelyn Tribbley and Ruth Bank and Sam Rattar, these world-class researchers and clinicians and practitioners, Rory Cordial, 
you're able to strip all the marketing and all the gimmicks mm-hmm. and all the hype away and just understand at the essence what's happening here and then communicate to people in a very direct and real way. Here's the practice. Here's the benefits. Do it for yourself. Small steps over time. And um, yeah, it's, so that, that's really what the program is all about. I, I'm sure, you know, throughout the process, you know, you and Blake were kind of at the forefront of the R&D with this stuff, you know, testing out some of the things that the, the experts was, was, you know, kind of suggesting and, and, and some of the things that we're discovering. What was actually going through some of this stuff yourself? What, what were some of the benefits that you ended up seeing? Um, that's a great question. I, I'll, I'll back up a little bit because I think this will be interesting for your listeners. So one of the first things that I did uh, I had met Andrew Huberman early on in this process, and he was a little bit of a thought partner. And so our, a big thought partner, we were going back and forth and in, in what we were trying to do and how we wanted to approach this. And he said to me, I, I think I'd known him for two weeks. He said, hey, Pat, we're going on a research study in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to study fear and how breath can relate to fear using your breath and using your visual system. So looking out at horizons or scanning um, your environments in specific ways, how that can actually affect your levels of, he calls them arousal states, anxiety, fear. Um, he said, would you be interested in participating in this study? I said, yeah, that sounds fascinating. Let's do it. And so as we got closer and closer to the, the date when the study was going to occur, I got more and more information. And so about a week out, he said, okay, we're going to be going to Mexico. Uh, you just, you know, you need to have, make sure you have your passport. And I said, okay, great. And he said, we're going to be doing some diving. You were a SEAL, right? So you can dive. And I was like, yeah, I'm comfortable in the water. I can dive. And so as we got closer and closer, what I, what I found out was that we were doing a shark diving trip. So we we're going about oh, wow. 160 miles off the coast of Mexico, and we were going to dive alongside great white sharks. And the idea was the sharks were going to be the stimulus for fear. So you get in the water with the sharks, uh, you leave the cage, and then that puts you in this state of uh, uh, heightened arousal. And so they were measuring our, our arousal states before the dives, after the dives, and then using these specific protocols um, to see how that affected, um, see how it affected our states of being. And what I found really surprising was with some very simple practices, you can recover a lot faster. And even, even when your mind might be racing, there are things that you can do from an action standpoint with your body that puts your mind in the right headspace. So Andrew likes to say, it's very hard to control the mind with the mind, but if you can get into action, use your body first, then that can be the entry point for getting your mind over a good place. And so it's a small example, but one that I've found um, really powerful and, and, and a connected with in a visceral way, obviously with the backdrop of the sharks. So. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure being in the, literally swimming with sharks is, that's quite the, the experiment there. Yeah, it's it's funny because as a as a seal, and you know, I, I I think every team guy would say this, and going through training, and um, we're used to diving at night, and you're diving with this small little, call them attack boards, where you have a compass and a small chem light that illuminates just enough so you can see your bearing, and um, that's really the the profile. So you and your swim buddy are diving one, swimming on top of the other, and you're you're diving at night, and you really don't see much, and occasionally you get bumped by things, you know, at yeah. night, and it does you no good. The first couple of times you look up to see like, oh my God, what was that? And then you realize not only can I not see it, but there's nothing I can do about it. And I still have to do this dive. So I'm just going to move through this. Um, so that's, it's, it's one thing to be in the water at night and not see anything. It's another thing to be in the water where you can see everything and say like, oh, wow, okay, there are seven bearing sized sharks around the water. Fortunately, we were with some, some South African divers that gave us 
you know, some very specific directions on how to do it safely and effectively. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. That's something yeah. I probably do again. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's not one of the tasks, is it? We don't have to jive with sharks. Okay. That, that might be the graduate program. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so it's interesting because some of the 10 pillars are things that I think a lot of people would understand kind of from the outset, maybe what the benefits are, even if they aren't executing them properly, rest, fuel, movement, you know, those are things that I think, you know, are, are again, you, you guys kind of go into a lot of details about how to develop those in the right way to do them. But I feel like, you know, there are degrees of sort of intuitiveness on, okay, I need to incorporate this in my life. But there's also things like clarity, vision, connection, that probably aren't the things that a lot of people have at top of mind when they're when they're like mm -hmm. I want to get better. Tell me a little bit about some of those that are a, a little that aren't as I guess uh, physiological as like breathing or hydration or movement. Tell me about clarity and vision. Like what 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 did those entail in the program? Yeah, it's it's a great question. So every month we focus on you know something that is maybe more physical in nature, something that might be more <clears throat> mental, or something that you know might be a little bit more purposeful, but. Um, for example, our, our vision month, we talk about what is, or actually, I'll, I'll, I'll back up even to the beginning of the program. So one of the first practices that we engage in is hydration. And hydration, you think, okay, this is a physical month. Uh, and a lot of people come to this with a lot of misconceptions about what it means to be hydrated or what are the, the downside effects of not being hydrated. Um, so we talk about all of that. But uh, the other half of that month, what's happening is what happens when you bring a little bit of attention and awareness to a small thing that you do every day and start to connect the dots between the small effort that you engage in and its effects on you? And so, you know, we're practicing hydration during the hydration month, but we're also practicing awareness about our actions and their effects. And it's, it's this surprising, we see a lot of, a lot of light bulbs going off for people like, wow, okay, I'm just focusing on hydration. I know I drink a lot of water, but now I'm focusing on hydration and now I find I'm moving my body more, or mm. when I come home and I engage my family, I'm actually a little bit more present with my children, and it changes their relationship to their actions and the benefits uh, across a variety of, of different things in their life. And so that's an example of a physical one that probably also has a little bit of a mental and purposeful element as well. You think about something like vision, where we look at, you know, what are the values that drive you? Can you can you bring some clarity to those values and recognize that even affirming top two or three values, that that helps buffer you for stress or for friction that you may experience in the future, that that can be a tremendous source of strength and resilience that you have absolute control over, right? If you can identify what your values are and look for opportunities to bring those to bear in life, in day-to-day -day or in you know, potential big setbacks, then it's going to be a source of strength and resilience for you. And then if you can start to project out into the future and, and vision is one of those months that we get to uh, closer towards the end of the program, but this idea of, all right, what is my bigger mission or what is my bigger purpose? What is that thing that I'm heading towards? It all of a sudden makes the small steps along the way, just that much more clear. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and you can be that much more purposeful in how you're engaging your days, how you're engaging relationships, how you're leveraging your time to ultimately achieve the maximum effect and unlock the most potential you can inside you. And there's, you know, our program is built at a foundational level. You know, we use, we view everything through the lens of neuroscience, what's happening in the brain. Um, we also look at the body, what's happening in the body when we engage in these specific actions. At the same time, we look at 
um, this field of positive psychology has a very foundational element to this program. And so when I was in business school, I took a number of classes that went way over my head, you know, accounting and finance and things that, you know, if I sit down in front of a spreadsheet, I break out into hives a little bit. It's not a comfortable place for me to be. Um, But I was, uh, I sat through uh, an undergraduate class that I audited was taught by this woman, Angela Duckworth. And she's really well known for her research in grit and grit being a determining factor for success far above IQ and, you know, just everything else that grit is the determining factor. But she taught this class on uh, introduction to positive psychology. It was the first time that I'd heard about this field. And it, to me, it sounded on the on the surface very soft. But when they started unpacking it, the whole field and the area of research is around what are the things that you can be in pursuit of that allow you to bring out the best in yourself? So whether it's a mindset, it's an action, it's an environmental thing, it's a relationship, what are those things that are not focused on avoiding particular behaviors or trying to stop bad things or reduce negative outcomes? Rather, what are the things that we can be in pursuit of that bring and grow the good in life? And something about that really resonated with me. I think you know, being a team guy, we love being in pursuit. We don't yeah. like to run away from things. And so, um, and what a lot of what they talked about mapped to, I think what I saw in my experience in the teams and what people that were really successful, both in training and beyond, what allowed them to thrive were some very foundational basic things that were encoded in this, in this field of positive psychology. So that again is a foundational element of the program. And it proves out a lot of the stuff when we talk about values or vision or mission, that has been proven out in terms of helping people be more resilient and be able to perform at higher and higher levels. It, it, one of the things that I think is it was interesting too is that gratitude is is one of the pillars. And mm. you know, a lot of kind of high performers, you know, people whether they're in like a leadership position in business or or an endurance athlete, or, you know, a lot of them seem to walk or live in an interesting tension between uh, contentment and and complacency. You know, like they. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. And a lot kind of, um, y- you know, veer towards, y- you know, are, are so concerned about getting complacent and always mm-hmm. kind of pushing to the next level that it doesn't seem like gratitude is something that you always see in practice. Like, mm-hmm. it seems like there's a lot of dis- there's a lot of high performers that dissatisfaction with kind of how things currently are seems to be mm-hmm. this driving factor. Yet for you guys, gratitude is actually one of the pillars Tell me, mm-hmm. tell me why that was so important to include. Be, because, like I said, I think for some people, um, they almost use the uh, dissatisfaction with circumstances as, as sort of like a motivation to get to a, a different place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the, I, gratitude. When I when I hear that word, immediately it sounds very soft, very woo. Um, but I heard this definition a few years ago that just really um, was very clear in in the power of gratitude and and really the way they describe it is that gratitude, having gratitude or having grateful mindset is really uh, having an orientation towards Mm. recognizing the good, even when things are bad. So can you recognize and find ways to, to celebrate the good, even when things are bad? And for me, I mean, that's like, that's gold. I mean, that is what allows SEALs to get through training. It's what allows SEALs to perform at a very high level when you're on an operation and things start to go bad trying to constantly assess like, all right, what's going right? And how can I be in pursuit of that? And how can I recognize that? That's the thing that, um, and don't get me wrong, I'm one of the first people to fall into this um, mode of operations of not being satisfied and allowing that to be the driver of motivation and forward progress. 
but I think sometimes um, that can be a limiting way to pursue things. And I think mm-hmm. that without the compliment of being able to recognize the good, um, ultimately uh, uh, caps you know what your your potential is that you can bring to to an environment. So that's how I think about gratitude. And I, I this is one of the most I think one of the most powerful months for our members going through the program is that they, again, everyone brings a practice that they've engaged in, or they think, Hey, I got this, this is beneath me. But when they start connecting the dots in a very deliberate fashion and recognize that gratitude uh, at any dose actually not only helps others, but it helps you be more resilient and be more effective throughout your day. They're like, okay, I get it now. Like I see the science, I see the benefits and I see it not because of anything that you told me, but because of the work that I did and the benefits it brought me. So I, I, I'm a big fan of this month. Yeah, that, that's really cool. And that, that, and that one kind of jumped out to me because it, it did seem like it probably has benefits that a lot of people haven't recognized yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I want to ask you, I, I, I was doing some research on you and I, and I saw you went to uh, a Jesuit prep school growing up. And, you know, I, I've always been fascinated with uh, kind of Jesuit philosophy. And, you know, I, I interviewed, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, a little while back, uh, the writer Malcolm Gladwell, yeah. who had written a little bit about the idea of casuistry and, you know, this Jesuit method of problem solving uh, that, that, you know, really involved kind of understanding the nuances of problems and, and practical solutions. How did kind of a, a Jesuit background, because I do feel like a lot of people who, who are, are, you know, have experienced a Jesuit education have a really interesting way of thinking and seeing the world and tackling problems. How did that kind of influence your own kind of leadership philosophy? Oh man, I love that you, I love that you cued in on, on Jesuit. I think this is for me, it was four years. It was high school. It was a long time ago, but the further I get away from that experience, the more I realize how much it shaped me and how I approach um, problem solving and moving through the world. And even the things that I do on a day, day-to-day um, basis I think there there are three things that really stand out for me for my Jesuit education. One is, to your point, question everything. Like never stop asking questions and cultivate this sense of curiosity and learning. That the learning never stops. Right. So, to me, that that almost says like you should never, um, you should always retain a, a healthy sense of humility to whatever it is that you're trying to learn about and engage in and and. And that maps very well back to the Made For program, which is all about how can you cultivate a growth mindset as opposed to a fixed mindset. So never stop learning, yeah. never stop encountering friction and recognizing that that friction you feel or the, the questions that follow is you getting better. It's not uh, it's not a reflection on who you are or the, or the value or the capabilities that you bring. So that's, I think, the first part. The second part uh, is really this bias for action. And Jesuits throughout history, you know, have been a little bit of the Pariahs in some way of the of the of the church, and that they are very quick to mix it up and to get their hands dirty, and to you know, as evident by our, our current pope, um, they're just really willing to do the hard work and to get in the mix of things. And I just love that, and that maps very well to my time in the teams. And that you know, seals ultimately at the end of the day have a bias for action. We want to get in there. We want to do an operation. We want to figure out how to solve the problem and and uh, and get in the mix. Um, and then the last part, and I think maybe it's the, the biggest one of all of them, is this this idea of being a men for others. Like, mm. how can you constantly map your efforts to something bigger than yourself? Right. Um, I love this. I love talking about, you know, in the in the SEAL teams. You, when you talk about another SEAL, 
or someone asks you like, Hey, is that a good seal? You don't respond by, yeah, he's he can do a lot of pull-ups or he's an amazing shot or he's this or that. You say, yeah, he's a good team guy, right? We always focus on the teams like that above all else. And it's this idea that can you serve alongside someone that puts their interest um, at the bottom and puts the interest of the team and the mission and the, you know, the larger objective first and foremost, every time. And if you can exist uh, on a team in an organization uh, alongside others that have a similar mindset, there's nothing that can't be accomplished. Right. And so it's a fundamental thing that they talk about uh, time and time again, in your Jesuit education is that, Hey, everything at the end of the day is ultimately about serving something bigger than yourself. And that can be God, it can be religion, it can be family, whatever that thing is for you. But I think that is something that has stayed with me. And it certainly certainly was with me during my time at the Naval Academy and then on in the SEAL teams. And it's something I've only grown more and more appreciative of. So much so that when, you know, when I graduated from business school, I started working. I spent a few years at Google. And Google is an amazing company. They do a lot of great stuff. Um, but what I found is I did not have that same visceral connection to the work that I was doing and the bigger purpose of what I was serving. Uh, and it's a large part of the reason why, you know, Blake and I are working on Made For and why we started this company is because we wanted to serve something bigger than ourselves in a, a very high integrity way. And so, um, yeah, I'd say that those are probably some of the things that I've taken away from my Jesuit education. And there's, it's, it's funny. I don't, I don't know very many people that um, have such a group of, close friends from high school, but there's 12 buddies of my or 11 buddies of mine. We're all the big 12. And we're just like, we're on a text thread. We stay in contact and like everyone's doing crazy different things. And, yeah. um, but we are, we were, you we were brought together through this formative, you know, forging experience that, um, was Jesuit and I'm so grateful for it. Yeah. I've always been, I've always been fascinated and, and, and I can tell like even threads with made for, it seems so outwardly focused and it, and, and when I stumbled on that, it made a lot of sense that, you know, that was in your background. I, I, I'm not uh, a Catholic, but I, I read father James Martin book uh, years ago where, when it's sort of like, it's basically like Jesuit philosophy for dummies. You know, I mean, he's a great writer and, but, but you know what I mean? It's, it's a very high level, but it was very impactful. And it was cool to kind of see some of those values reflected and what you guys are doing, because I feel like so many times when people think about elite performance or, or kind of getting to the next phase in life or kind of, you know, just leveling up and whatever they want to do uh, for a lot of people, it's not always, but a lot of times it's there, it, the, the, the pursuit is, is sort of selfish it, it, it even, or self-focused, I should say, you know, like, uh, you know, they have goals that they personally want to achieve, but with, with made for what you guys are doing, it does seem to have a real sort of outward leaning, um, uh, you know, uh, focus in mind that, that you become better by helping to make other people better. Yeah, that's, that's, it's in some ways it sounds like a, a lofty tagline, but it, it really is central to the work that we do. And our mission is make the world a better place by helping people bring their best to the world one that's person awesome. at a time. And um, yeah, it's, and it, it's funny. And you know, I talked to a number of people that have transitioned out of the military. And I think one of the common themes that I see with everyone that I talk to, one of my friends that, that transition out is that if you're in for any length of time, well, people come in for a variety of reasons into the military. They're looking for adventure. They want a way to pay for college, whatever the thing is. But I think if you're in it for any length of time and uh, you lose teammates or you lose friends or um, you conduct work overseas, when you leave, um, it's not until you leave that you recognize that service 
and sacrifice has become woven into your fabric. There's no way to distinguish who you are and what you do from that ultimate, ultimate sense of service. And I think where guys and, and girls have trouble is when they leave and they plug themselves into a, a business or an industry or a profession that is very self-focused. It becomes about the money or it becomes about whatever the thing is. Um, and it's a very alienating, you know, place to be. It's just not. And so what, what I've seen from people and, and even in myself is that when you can start to close that gap of, around who you are and what you do and what you're serving and make sure there's no daylight between those three areas, that's when you feel like you're back on step again and you've successfully made the transition out of the military. So mm-hmm. That's good, man. Well, Pat, one thing we like to do is we have a, um, a sort of a lightning round where we ask uh, <laughs> every guest the kind of the same, the same uh, 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 questions. So if it's cool, man, I'll, I'll jump right in. Um, what is what is the best advice you've personally ever received? You know, when I was growing up, my father is um, he is someone that has you know worked really hard in his life and has been has been successful. And he always said to me, he said, you know, ninety nine percent of the time um, in life, you're going to face decisions. And there's going to be an easy way and a hard way. He said, just take the hard way. 99% mm-hmm. of the time, that's the right way. And he said, just do that and everything else will work out. Um, and he beat that drum over and over and over again, probably to the point of, you know, causing some hearing damage, but um, it stuck with me. And I think, you know, when I was in seventh grade, I read a book about the SEAL teams and I imagined some of what he did and some of the examples that, you know, my mom set by the way that she lived her life. She had me when she was 17 years old. and uh, you know, put herself through medical school and college as a, as a single mother for, for a time. Um, just having that message and that example to me, I internalized it in such a way that when I read that book about the SEAL teams, I was like, well, that sounds like the hardest thing I can do. That's what I'll go do. Um, but you know, it's, it's proven to be sage advice and, um, something that I pass on to try to pass on to my younger brothers when I can. Yeah, that's good, man. Hey, Pat, if you could go back 20 years and tell yourself something, what would it be? Oh, you know, I would say to savor things more, like mm. find opportunities to celebrate the wins along the way. I am someone, you know, to your earlier point around um, allowing dissatisfaction to be a driver. I think I've always been so driven towards an objective and everything has been in pursuit of that objective. And I think sometimes I've done that to my detriment where I didn't take time to, you know, just to savor the wins along the way. So, um, have more fun, be yeah. more, you know, cultivate a, uh, you know, a sense of joyfulness in the grind because that's what life is, right? Life's not about these mountaintop experiences or these finish lines. Life's about the climb. So, yeah, that's good. But what, what is one thing, and, and this, this kind of plays into made for to a degree, what is one thing you think a person should do every single day? Hmm. I think. Look, I don't think it matters what you do, but if you can bring attention to something you do every day and its effects that you have on you, um, that will deliver a lot of benefits for you. And so what I what I talk about with our members is that it doesn't matter if it's how you're moving your body or how you're breathing or how you're eating food or if you're bringing gratitude to bear, just grounding in one thing that you're doing in a day starts to have knock-on effects and makes you aware of more things that you're doing. And just that is a very powerful entry point to make sure that the actions that you're taking throughout your day 
are setting you up to be where you want to be and are helping you bring out the best in you because it's so often that you know humans are we're incredible at dealing with stress and normalizing under really challenging circumstances but in that process of normalizing or falling into our routines sometimes we do things that are actually very counter to what we want to ultimately do or what even makes us feel good right we yeah. may you know find that look back on the day and like, wow, I spent three hours on Instagram or I spent four hours watching Netflix. And like maybe the, the quick hit of dopamine that you got in real time was, was satisfying. But when you look back and say, well, did that actually serve me well and where I want to go? And does that actually make me feel better throughout my day? I don't know. Maybe the answer is yes for you, but maybe it's not. So I think that would be my advice to just try to bring awareness to something small that you're doing every day and look for those opportunities to, um, to lean in in a way that brings out a better you. Yeah, that's really good, man. What 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 is the attribute that you think every leader should seek to foster in themselves? I think that this, you know, and there's there's been a lot about this over the last few years, but this idea of being a servant leader. So mm-hmm. I think if you are always approaching your role as a as a leader in that it is something that's a responsibility that's been entrusted to you, but ultimately you're there to serve. You're there to serve the people on your team, to serve your mission, um, and to um, to take whatever actions are necessary to to, to that end. Uh, I think when people find themselves in trouble as leaders is when they make it about them and they make it about you know feeding their ego or that they they think they're the smartest person in the room or they think you know whatever it is. Um, if you are always coming back to, all right, how am I serving the bigger mission? How am I serving my people? And in, in the SEAL teams, and not even just in the SEAL teams, but in the military, especially in special operations, we have this command by negation model, which is be very, very clear on what the mission is, what the, out, you know, what the desired outcome is. Make sure everyone is crystal clear on that. And then give people what they need to do their job. Empower them, give them the resources, the tools, the time, the attention, the check-ins that they need but get out of their way and let them do their job. And what that enables is for organizations to be hierarchical when they need to be hierarchical and flat when they need to be flat, but you can be super dynamic, responsive, and really leverage the most from everyone on your team and within your organization. So um, that that's what I would, I would tell people. It's interesting. I, I was doing we, we the, the same uh, on the show uh, yesterday. I was actually interviewing uh, Evan Hafer, who runs a company called Black Rifle Coffee. And he's a, mm-hmm. he's a former army ranger. And, and his answer to that question was very similar. It's interesting. You know, he kind of brought up the idea of like good, e- good leaders eat last and that, mm-hmm. you know, if you're serving your team, they'll end up working harder for you. It, it's interesting because it seems like you guys are kind of along the same lines of, of, of what that attribute in leaders, the key attribute is for great leaders. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love that, that Evan brought that up. And it's interesting, we had, a, uh, um, we had our team on uh, Zoom the other day, and we were talking about, you know, business goals and culture and everything that we're trying to put in place to, to set us up for success. And what I told them, I said, hey, listen, like 10 years from now, 15 years from now, whatever it is, you know, made for maybe still might be around, maybe a successful company, maybe a $100 million company, I have no idea. Um, I can't, we, you know, to a large degree, we can't control that. Um, so we may be successful, we may not. Uh, but what we might be 10 years from now is known as being the place that launched five female founded companies that, you know, the next round of female, amazing female entrepreneurs. We have, I have a team of uh, six uh, women on my team that 
allow us to do everything that we do. And it's amazing. And they're amazing. And so I told them, I told that to them, not because I care, I don't want us to achieve our mission and achieve, you know, what we're setting out for, but that ultimately like we have to find, um, we have to find rewards in the day to day here, right? We can't, this can't be a, an outcomes focused business. It's gotta be a progress focused business. And that's, that's what we tell our members. And it's what we tell our team internally. It's like, Hey, look, we have to, if we're doing this the right way, we're going to find that we're bringing out the best in one another and ourselves and in our members. And regardless of what happens in the outcomes, we'll say the process was worth it. And so I think it maps very well to, you know, you know, leaders eat last or this, you know, bringing a sense of service to how you lead is that at the end of the day, you should want what's best for your people. And they may be on your team for two years. They may be on your team for 10 years or or maybe six months, whatever it is. But like, if you approach engaging and leading them with that mindset, um, they will bring out, they're going to bring their best to there. They're going to bring their A game while they're here. And then, and then they'll move on and you wish them the best of success. So, yeah. You know, th- this next one's just is mainly for kind of the young listener out there who wants to make an impact on the world and, and has big dreams, but they just don't know where to get started. What, what would you yeah. tell them? Start, take a step. Mm-hmm. I mean, start, start small, right? You're not going to, um, you're not going to take on the world in day one. Um, and I, I love this and I'm sure it's everywhere. And I don't remember who told me this, but it's this idea that you're not going to change your location in an instant, but you can change your destination. Right. Mm. And so if you decide where you're oriented, where you want to point your effort towards and you start, start taking small steps to get there the world's going to conspire in your favor. You're going to start to shape the environments and the people that you meet and the interactions you have are all going to start to feed into that. And it's going to be a process of discovery, right? You you may think one thing, but um, where you end up may be some, someplace entirely different, but that was right for you. So just get started. Start small. Yeah. And, I, I, and just for the young listeners out there, I think it's very easy to look at, you know, SEALs or entrepreneurs that are successful or, you know, Army Rangers, whatever it is, and to say like, Oh, well, that person's different, right? That person went to, you know, Stanford or that person did this or that, you know, person did, you know, whatever the thing is. Um, what I would tell you is that all those people put their pants on one leg at a time. Mm-hmm. They're all normal people. They all face the same, um, have the same issues with self doubt and they experience friction and they experience setback. And I like to joke my wife all the time that I wish I had a superpower. I don't have any superpowers. The superpower that I have is that, um, I have an incredible ability to suffer for long periods mm. of time. And so that means that, you know, I'll take the GMAT seven times in order to get the score that it takes to get into the school that I want to go to. Or it means that I'm willing to grind for three years to, to you know, bring a company to life or whatever it is, not because anything came easier or um, I've got any natural gifts, but just because I'm willing to take the steps, do it over time and, you know, good things come from that. So, yeah. Oh, uh, Pat, what is one book that you think every leader should read? There is a gentleman named um, Clay Christensen who just passed away this last year. And he, his book is, so Clay's research is all around uh, innovation theory, in particular, disruptive innovation. So mm-hmm. this idea that how are small startups able to enter into a competitive landscape and overtake really big entrenched players over time. And so his research in that is really fascinating, but he took a lot of that research and applied it to an individual's life. And so um, 
this book is called How We Measure Life. And the, what's, what, what caused him to write this book, Clay went to Harvard for business school and he said, you know, something really, I noticed something very peculiar is that we showed up on our first year and everyone had all these big dreams, all these big hopes. Everyone was really smart and gifted and had the world as their oyster. Uh, and then we graduated. And then over time, we'd have these reunions every five years, 10 years, 15 years. But he said, I started to notice divergence between where people started and where they ended up, right? People you know, had fractured families. People were going to prison. People were had committed suicide. People, all these things that um, for whatever reason, they ended up in a place that was so far off of where they thought they were destined to be or where they wanted to be. And so how will you measure life really is about bringing a little bit of understanding and awareness to how do you want to show up in the day-to-day and where do you want to be and making sure that your actions are aligned with those values that set you up for not only success in the short run, but success in the long run. And I think it's it's a book that I come back to every year uh, and try to reread because it really helps ground me uh, and make sure that I'm uh, doing things the right way. That's awesome. I'll definitely have to check that out. Um, you know, the, so our, our, our last question is, and this, I'm really interested in your take here, especially because of, uh, of made for, we actually, <laughs> it, it's, um, we ask but before, before guest leaves to issue our, our, our listeners, a one week challenge, and it can be, it can literally be anything, but if you could, if you could challenge listeners to do, it could be a different thing every day. It could be the, the same thing for one week, but a, a one week challenge for our listeners, what would you, what would you challenge them? And I feel like, no pressure, but with the with the made for uh, uh, you know background and, and having insights from all these leaders, I feel like it's a pretty high bar. You, you got to clear here on this one. I got to raise my game here. Oh my god! Um, so, no joke. If someone had one week and they were going to engage in something a challenge that one week, what I would tell them is to take a. The time's almost irrelevant, but make it an hour take a one hour long walk every day Hmm. and don't take any devices. Um, Just go on a walk with no intention of fitness or exercise or anything. Just go walk for an hour um, and find the benefit in that hour. So once you finish that, um, maybe take a minute, write a couple sentences of what came up, what were the benefits from that walk and do that for seven days. And I am betting based on my experience and some of the research that that we've come across and building made for and what our members have seen is that people will surprise themselves with the benefits that will come from that. That's awesome. I feel like, you know, one, and I, I hate even saying the, um, one of the good things about the pandemic, but one of the outcomes of the pandemic is, uh, I feel like a lot of people are discovering the power of just going for a walk. You know, so yeah. many people are cooped up inside and I know I've done a couple and it's like, man, well, wh- why haven't I done this more? This is really <laughs> great. You know? So that's awesome. Yeah, it's funny. I was going to say, we, we live a couple of blocks away from a park and it wasn't until, and not to say we didn't spend time in the park before the pandemic, but once the pandemic came, uh, the city that we live in threw up fences around all the parks and all the public spaces. And it was, we had a visceral reaction on our walks. It's like, wow, now we can't get in there. That's all we want to do is to get in there. How yeah. can they take away their space? And it, it just gave you such a great appreciation for these small things and, you know, um, things in our environment or things throughout our day that actually deliver a lot of value for us. So uh, it's been cool that the fences have come down and we're able to spend more time there. That's awesome. Well, Pat, listen, man, I really appreciated you you coming on. It's awesome what you guys are doing. And uh, yeah, uh, thanks for coming on today. Thanks, brother. Enjoyed the uh, conversation and I wish you guys all the best. And uh, yeah, look forward to talking again soon someday. 
Man, we just wrapped the podcast with Pat from Made For. Pretty good stuff. Yeah, it was really good. I got a lot out of this one, and I think it definitely continues the trend of just amazing leadership lessons that we've been packing into the pods lately, for what sure. What were some of the biggest takeaways you had from it? Um, I think one of the biggest takeaways was that um, immediately right out of the gate, he talks about his experience with training and in the teams and some of the things that prepared him for later in life. One of the quotes that he made, and I wrote it down so I wouldn't butcher it, is that it's very hard to control the mind with the mind. Um, the idea being that if we can get our body into action, it can overcome some of the things that our mind is tricking us into thinking, right? So if it's something that we have like as a phobia or a fear or something that is causing anxiety in some way that our body can basically snap us out of that if we apply the right practices to it, which I thought was really, I mean, it's, I think intuitively it makes sense where, uh, you know, if you, it's just like if you've had a rough day at work and you go home and burn it out in a workout, it hits a, it serves as a reset. Yeah. And I think that is exactly in a very small example, what he's talking about in a bigger example um, with some of the training processes they went through. That I thought it, was really cool. Isn't it funny that uh, even when you know that that's the case, that you could go burn it off in a workout, mm -hmm. if you get out of the groove, the less you practice, the harder it is, even when you know that that's the best thing for you. I, I completely understand that. And I think we've talked a lot, even just in how we conduct operations, that there is a critical incubation time where it's almost like I have to make myself walk away from this. Otherwise you will by default either get tunnel vision or the problem will not in many ways solve itself because you've just given it time to marinate. Yeah. And I think, uh, that mindfulness of saying, Hey, I got to step away and go work out to be able to solve the problems huge. And then one of the other things I thought was really cool that he said is that, you know, our mindset by default, and I'm summarizing his point, becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. So if we are thinking positively, the whole idea of, you know, almost playing into the law of attraction that if I'm thinking positively, that by default becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that I can achieve in many ways positive results. Yeah. Um, which is huge for us, especially because, you know, especially during this season where, there's been so many ups and downs in terms of the business environment and economic environment that it's really easy to get caught in the death spiral. I think. And it's very easy to not think positively. I mean, it's easy to not think positively on a daily basis, especially when all you hear is the opposite of that. Right. So uh, who you surround yourself with, how you center yourself in the morning and in the evening and just being thankful. I mean, we were talking about that when we took from Brian Kane doing the gratitudes I mean, just think if everybody did that every day. Yeah. You know, it's huge. And I think that's a good segue into one of the other things he said, because even just bringing up Brian Kane, this is something that you've encouraged our team to do, is that one of the points that Pat talked about is the idea of being a student for life. So waking up every day with the mentality that, hey, what can I absorb from everything around me and be committed to being a student, whether it's to a student of leadership or of just philosophy, um, but the idea of improving oneself every day for the sake of making positive impacts is exactly like what you were talking about with Brian Kane, where it becomes a, you know, it, it's a, a practice that we go through, but even at Ironclad here, you've encouraged our team to be absorbing those lessons from Brian and applying them every day. Yeah. It's good stuff, man. Well, Pat's interview was filled with uh, 
great takeaways, an incredible story, incredible guy, great, great business. I mean, j- the fact that they have a business that's driven by passion and purpose, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, does it get any better than that? No. No, I, I don't think it does. And I think he, I think they know their mission. And it's, you can tell just from the way he speaks about it that they have, you know, they have a resolve and, um, you know, they know their objective and they live it out every day. It's pretty cool. It's awesome. Well, Pat, we love you. Thanks for jumping on the podcast. Listen, everybody, thanks for listening. Make sure you comment, subscribe, ask questions. If you want to see anybody else on our podcast, let us know. We'll book them. We'll hunt them down. We'll get them. Um, In the meantime, subscribe, like, listen, comment. See you soon.